0: Slayton brings it home. Joe clobbers one. Deep right field. This one's way back. Ball game. It's an 11 run. Ninth inning for Grand Junction. And the fireworks start a little bit early here in the Grand Valley.
1: Thanks for having me, man. This view is amazing. It's really cool to, to be here in your office. You must consider yourself pretty lucky to be sitting high above a baseball field every day. And I remember as a kid, you must be some sort of a baseball fan, I guess, ending up in the career you did. But when I would go to games with my dad or my family, the best moment of the game was when you would walk into the stadium. I grew up a Phillies fan, so this would be at Old Veterans Stadium or then Citizens Bank Park. Is when you come from the lot and you walk up the ramp and you get that first view of the field. And I remember as a kid, my stomach would just drop and be like, oh, wow, like looking at this magical playground or something like that. Well, that's always a special moment for me. And I do it
0: almost every day during the summer coming up here, but it does not get old doing that. And even when I go to a stadium as a fan, you know, that is the, the big moment for me is when you come through that portal and just the stadium opens up in front of you. That's always special. Did you grow up a Rockies fan? Yeah. Do you remember what got you into baseball? I don't know. I I know there's a picture of me as a baby. I'm, you know, newborn maybe a couple days out of the hospital with a pack of baseball cards in my hand. So my dad gave me so indoctrination and uh, indo- yeah, yeah. I mean, the good kind I think. Uh, well, maybe not making me a
1: Rockies fan, but um, yeah. kind of set you up for some lifelong failure. Actually, that's not fair. They had the good run about 10 years ago or so. I just heard a stat on the radio this morning, driving here to meet you and Jim Davis, I think who you've done interviews with, you sure. may know him on one Oh one one. And he was saying that the Rockies have not won a series against an NL West opponent since last September, which is hard to believe. Yeah, that tells you two
0: things. Uh, The Rockies are struggling, and the NL West, the rest of it's really good.
1: For sure. Tell us more about where we are here, Suplesio Field. This used to be a farm system for the Rockies, but is no longer. And I think we've seen a lot of changes in the past year. How long have you worked here? This is my third season, so I've only been here since the team's been
0: a quote unquote independent league team that was my first year in 2021 was the first year it was an independent league and independent league is both accurate and not the the league is still affiliated with major league baseball so it's not fully independent it's a what's called an MLB partner league but no longer are is each team affiliated with one single organization we're obviously with the Rockies here you know the Billings Mustangs up north were with the Reds Colorado Springs was with the Brewers it On and on, but now it's just the Pioneer League, and our our players can be picked up by any major league organization. It's a little different how they do that. There is a contract fee that the organization has to pay to the team in our league, but players can still get picked up, and still are getting picked up by major league organizations.
1: I thought when they changed over to the Jackalopes is when they stopped being associated with the Rockies, but that was before. You're saying that was a couple years before last year. Yeah, the change coming this year in November
0: went from the Rockies to the Jackalopes. That change came about because the team was owned by the Montforts. It was owned by the same group that owns the Colorado Rockies, and they had bought the team when they moved it down here from Casper, Wyoming in 2012 to be the rookie ball affiliate a little closer to home in a market they hoped to, you know, knew it was a big baseball market. We've got Juco World Series here, Colorado Mesa University, one of the top D2 baseball programs in the country, so it made sense to move the team here to Grand Junction. When they did so, they bought the team that was up in Casper, renamed it the Rockies, and moved it here, but after the team went independent in 2021, that kind of started the, the gears turning on them selling the team, and they did. This passed off season to a group called Future Legends out of Windsor, Colorado. They have a big Complex up there their their big thing is youth tournaments and events, not just baseball but soccer, volleyball, softball. you name the sport they probably are working with little leagues around the country, your organizations high schools, colleges, whatever, to host tournaments up there, but as almost a kind of side gig, they have some professional teams, including another baseball team in our league, the noco owls they're owned by them as well as the noco hailstorm who are in the u s f l the minor league soccer league
1: do you remember what the team sold for what kind of cash are we talking about here
0: that is not a number they gave me access to i i don't even know if anyone on our staff was told not a public sale or anything where mm. you could find out no interesting i'd be curious to know how much it was worth yeah I, i'm not sure we guesses have abounded in our office but i i, I don't know uh, to be quite honest but yeah we, we were sold to to this group and and as such you know Rockies is owned by the Colorado Rockies, so we had to, had to change the name up. And Personally, I, I, I'm a big fan of it, and that's not just me towing the company line. I, you I'm, like the Jackalopes? I'm just a fan of something different. There's nothing wrong with the Rockies, but I don't really care for any team that's named after their affiliate, right? I prefer the, the wacky minor league names, the Trash Pandas, the Jumbo Shrimp, the Montgomery Biscuits, whose logo is just a giant sentient biscuit the butter in the middle of the biscuit as its tongue. That sort of thing. I love the wacky minor league stuff. So I think Jackalopes captures the West where we are and it's just goofy enough, but you can still have a lot of fun with it. And the logos turned out just fantastic. So,
1: And that was the result of uh, a public poll, right? They they polled the community to vote on what the name was going to be. And that was a submission someone gave. Am I remembering that right? Correct. Yeah, there's a lot of submissions
0: for Jackalopes. The, the most common submission was Rockies, which kind of defeated the
1: purpose of the whole exercise. We're changing it from the Rockies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, people
1: didn't want it to change. Sure. They're like, I don't want to buy new swag. I want to keep my old one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can understand that. But again, I think it's a change for the better. Why did they break with the Rockies? Do you remember how that goes down? Is that common for major league teams to just shed and change their minor league organizations? I see the sign down there in the lobby. You know, you have all these famous players that came out of here that are now on the Rockies or were Rocky stars. So why did they get rid of this as an affiliate? So th- it, was, it wasn't it was personal to Grand Junction. There,
0: uh, following 2020, in 2020, there was no minor league baseball season because of the pandemic. And Major League Baseball restructured minor league baseball as a whole and oh. cut just a ton of teams. There used to be six levels of minor league baseball. There are now four. So that's two levels that were cut out. Both This team here was a rookie ball affiliate, which would start in June, run through September, and usually it'd be the the draft picks that would come here or some guys looking to get more development. And then short season A-ball was also cut. So now there's AAA, AA, high A-ball, and low A-ball, but there's two other leagues that, leagues that were cut. And so we are not the only team that was cut. Every single team in the Pioneer League, which now numbers 10 teams, only one of them is a new team since it became independent all nine of those teams were minor league, minor league teams before the cuts. There have been teams that even were AAA teams that have been moved around. The Fresno Grizzlies, for example, who are the Rockies' now low-A affiliate, they were a AAA team. And in the restructuring, now they're a low-A team, which is a much, much lower level. And the Trenton Thunder out in Trenton, New Jersey, used to be, I believe, a double-A affiliate of the Yankees. They're part of the MLB Draft League now, which is not a minor league. The Lancaster Jet Hawks were a Rockies affiliate. They're gone. We're fortunate in the sense that this team still exists and just didn't disappear off the face of the earth. But yeah, there's a lot more independent baseball teams now after that restructuring.
1: Did the players move with the team or when it was restructured because maybe the players were a higher level when it was on that? Did they all move around or do you have players now in the Jackalopes that were on the team three years ago? No one that was like that. When the restructuring happened...
0: The minor league overall roster, if you will, of the number of players teams were allowed to have shrunk. And as such, the rest of the players were released. And there's a sizable chunk that's growing lesser each year of players in the Pioneer League right now that were those players that were casualties of the 2020 cuts. I'd say the vast majority of our team to begin 2021 was players that were cut from the minor leagues. And more often than not now, it's guys that are out of college that are on the team that didn't get drafted because the draft has also been cut with the cuts of the minor leagues. So you've got a lot of talented players that would have gone in the late rounds that there are no late rounds for them to go in anymore. And this is kind of where they find their home. Why did they cut all this baseball just due to budget
1: and pandemic pressure or? That's what they say. Okay. Um, Pandemic was used as an excuse to do a lot of things that people probably wanted to do, but didn't have justification
0: for otherwise. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the exact reasons. It saves them a little bit of money. Each organization saves them a few million dollars from what I've read. And it's unfortunate because yes, there is still baseball here, but it's, it's different. Right. And you you lose teams, you lose communities access to baseball. And that's just, doesn't help grow the sport, right? That, that does quite the opposite actually. So I think there's some long-term consequences to that, that may be more detrimental than a couple million dollars, but We'll just have to see how it all, all plays out. I mean, they they certainly had their reasons, but it's too bad for both teams, especially the teams that no longer exist, and those players and the players that are continuing to come up who aren't getting that affiliated shot where, you know, you told the old story, Mike Piazza was drafted in the second-to-last round or something like that, and he's a Hall of Famer. One of the best catchers ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so many guys like that, and they're just – those guys don't get a shot anymore.
1: How has things been since the changeover in terms of community and fan involvement? Have you guys seen a big drop off in attendance? Has things progressed the same? What has been the vibe in the community since you guys changed over to the Jackalopes? As with anything, it depends on who you ask. Yeah.
0: I think there's a positive change in that this new ownership group is more committed to community involvement in Grand Junction than in the past. And obviously. That's no knock on, on past ownership. They just had different priorities They're running a major league baseball team. This this group is is more focused on that, allows our front office to do some things that we weren't able to do in the past from a budget standpoint to start that community involvement. I think it's going to be a wait and see kind of process. This year was a big year of transition. So many things changed. We also changed almost our entire front office for The last two years, 2021 and 2022, our front office comprised of three people. Hmm. Myself, our president, Mick Ritter, and our assistant general manager, a guy by the name of Matt Allen. So there's three people running a baseball team. That's crazy. Matt's a fantastic guy. He got hired as the GM of the Billings Mustangs in our league, so a little promotion for him. But as such, it left it me and Mick, two dudes running a baseball team.
1: There's two of you right now running the
0: Jackalopes. Not anymore, but for this offseason, there was, and that included... The rebranding transition, the transition to new ownership. It, so it, it, it's it was a bit of a
1: signing players, a, yeah. scouting players, hiring yeah. managers, coaches, exactly. all that. Mar- Two of you, marketing, wow. sales, you name it. Yeah. So you're director of sales and marketing slash play by play announcer. Correct. That's crazy. It seems like play by play would take up so much of your time and energy, and then so you're just calling the games at night, but during the day you're doing marketing, sales, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, whatever, whatever needs to be done, especially during the
0: off-season, my big focus is definitely sales. Uh, but we, we have a, a new assistant general manager, a guy named Devin Selleck. He's doing a great job, and we have a food and beverage director now too. But that wasn't there for most of the off-season. So I think it's a year of transition, and we'll see what happens next year once things kind of settle in a little bit, a chance for us to really dig our teeth into marketing and sales and, and stuff like that this off-season rather than, well, mix at a meeting. So I guess I'm answering the phones today, right? Yeah. So, it's just it's just been a big transition, and so I, I think our attendance has stayed pretty steady, actually, compared to last year. I think the new marketing brings in some people, pushes some away, but at the end of the day, it's staying about, about even. We're hoping to increase that next year.
1: Yeah, I feel like minor league baseball fans would be amongst the most loyal, because if you're coming to a minor league game already, you're probably one of the 1% of baseball fans who would do that, right? Or sports fans who would come and just check it out, quote-unquote no-name players, things like that. Versus anybody would go to a Rockies game in Denver, right? Just for the fanfare of it. Sure. And, you know, we are the Western Slopes only
0: professional sports team. So that's something that people people like to check out. It's just getting the the word out that we are here and, it's a fun time at the ballpark
1: tickets are affordable too one of the reasons i wanted to have you on i'm a baseball nerd which we'll get into but i came to a game game with my buddy about two weeks ago and there was a decent crowd a couple hundred people but definitely room for growth and we just had a blast and we see all the promotions you guys are doing and all the events and we can get into some of them and so part of having you on i just wanted to kind of share the word that you guys are still here and still doing it we sat right behind home plate i think tickets were 12 bucks Super affordable.
0: Yeah, our, our our most expensive ticket is $15, so okay. <laughs> that gives
1: you, gives you an idea. It's a, And it's a great experience. I mean, we were right behind home plate, which was awesome. And you guys have a different promotion every night of the week. We came on Tuesday. It was Taco Tuesday. I think Wednesday you have Dollar Hot Dog. Tell us about some of the other promotions you guys have.
0: Yeah, Thursdays is Thirsty Thursday. Monday Ooh. is Margarita Monday. So, you know, you get the good old... Uh, weekly promotions during the middle of the week but then when it really gets going is on the weekends. We do a lot of cool giveaways usually on Saturdays but not always. We got one coming up. Right now it's we do baseball cards uh, of our players and I actually the last 2 years I've gotten to design them myself, you which did? has been really neat and really fun and I'm excited about the ones this year and it's just such a neat giveaway not only for our fans, I think it's the coolest thing we do giveaways. But it's so neat for our players because for a lot of these guys, it's their first experience in professional baseball. It's the first time they've been on a baseball card. And we we do give them a pack of their cards that they can sign, do whatever they want with. Just their faces when they get their own baseball card. It's just super neat. And so that's a promotion worth checking out. But we do do giveaways throughout the season. I mean, we have so many great partners here in the community. We give away wine glasses, mason jars with some of our beverage sponsors. We just gave away some seat cushions the other day with – one of our sponsors in American family insurance. I just, the variety of things that we, we give away and that's always fun. And then a couple of Fridays a year, we do fireworks as well, which is one of our big promotions. And that's always a blast. So there's, there's something happening at the ballpark every night. We have terrific group of folks that run our in-game entertainment from our PA announcer, Tim to our on-field host to our guy running the music computer. These guys know how to have fun. They're professionals, but they have fun and, it really makes
1: the experience just a blast to come out to the ballpark. My favorite promotion, quote-unquote, you guys did, and I don't know if you do it every night, but it was the beer batter. Oh, that's a, that's a nightly occurrence. Dude, I was shocked. I had no idea this was going to happen, and I just I couldn't stop laughing. Explain to people what the beer batter is. One player from the
0: opposing team is selected as the beer batter, some of them get into it. They, they you know, kind of like bring it on. Some of them don't like it, but that's too bad. And <laughs> if they should strike out, it is $2 Bud Light drafts for 10 minutes. 10 minutes, yep.
1: So you see kind of a mass exodus from the stands once they strike the out. The crowd came so alive when this announcement was made. I, the batter didn't really get into it. He seemed to ignore it, but I don't know how he could because with every strike, the crowd got increasingly loud. When it was, I think, 0-2 or 1-2, we were standing up, cheering, clapping. You know, It was just a high-energy moment in an otherwise, you know, I think it was the second inning. And then when he struck out, everyone went nuts. And then, like you said, yeah, just mass exodus to get some Bud Lights. It was really cool. Is that something you came up with? Is that something that's been going on for a while? I thought it was kind of funny. I don't think you would ever see a major league team promote drinking that way. But I guess that's the benefit of being an independent team—you can
0: have some fun with it. Oh no, that's a that's a big minor league slash independent type of promotion.
1: That, you know, <laughs> get,
0: get a little raucous, little little more out of pocket, if you will, than something a major league baseball team can do. And no, that's something that has existed since before I was here. And we just kind of throw a dart, pick a batter every night, and hope he he strikes out. And for whatever reason, we have been on it recently we've been hitting the beer batter almost every night which just does not happen but it's been like if i had to guess like 18 out of the last 20 games the beer batter has has struck out at some point
1: which is not normal but is it every game the second inning or is it just rotate randomly when it happens whenever the beer batter is up whoever okay. is selected who decides you,
0: you decide depends on the night ah. <laughs> our pa announcer tim might say hey this guy beer batter tonight okay or and hey, every time he comes up he's yeah. the beer batter Yep. Oh, okay. So it could be three at-bats, four at-bats, we've, whatever. We've yeah. had a guy strike out three times as the beer batter. Oh, hell
1: yeah. That's awesome. That, that makes for night. a wild night at the ballpark.
0: We also have a promotion <laughs> called the Ice Cream Inning. Okay. Which, in that inning, randomly selected inning. Usually it's one of the middle innings, right? If our team scores a run in that inning, it's $2 ice cream. So we did some math the other night, and it was a Wednesday night, Beer batter struck out twice, ice cream inning hit. We figured you could get a dog, two beers, and ice cream
1: for se- for seven bucks. Oh, yeah, because it's dollar dog night. Yep. You get $2 beers, and then you get the ice cream. That's amazing. Yeah, That makes a big difference when you're coming with a big family. And Honestly, for someone like me, even, just coming on my own, it's just nice when you feel like you're getting value. Whereas you go to Coors Field, and it's $15 beers, and, like, sure. You're like, man, do I, I want to go to the game, but do I really want to blow a hundred bucks? Right. I could just watch it somewhere or
0: whatever. No, that's one of the things we hang our hat on is our prices. Uh, we have some of the most affordable prices in town anywhere, much less you're getting to take in a baseball game while getting that affordable meal, cheap drinks. Just it's, we, we our our little saying is affordable family fun. That's really what it is. And do you talk about the beer batter on air and stuff like that? Do you get into it? my co broadcaster is a guy named paxton he he gets into it he he's big into it. we will mention it on air, especially on this hot streak we've been on on our broadcast. you know we're professional we don't miss a pitch, but we like to have a little bit of fun too so if the beer batter's hitting, you know we might mention the mass exodus from the stands or yeah, yeah. it's fun you're on radio and simulcast on t v right yeah, a lot of minor league baseball broadcasts are like that where you have one set of broadcasters, right? In the big leagues, you got your radio broadcaster and your TV broadcaster. Minor leagues and independent ball, except for a couple select teams, that's just not the case. You have one broadcaster, one broadcast crew, and radio and TV broadcasts are different, but it's kind of like a, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. You can make a radio broadcast work on TV. You can't make a TV broadcast work on radio, right? Because right. radio broadcast, you need that description, You need more directions. You need to describe how things look, where things are at. The where is the big thing on radio that you just don't have to say on TV because you can see it. But if you say it on TV, oh, that ball's hit in the air, that doesn't help. But if you, on radio, if you say that, but if you say that on, if you see, ball's hit into left field, medium deep for Cruz, he jogs in, reaches above his head, and makes the catch. Yeah, people can see that, but it doesn't take away from the broadcast to, to have that overlaid with the TV. So it works out pretty nicely to have the the radio and TV simulcast or audio goes out to our our radio stream and just also is routed into the TV stream
1: as well. So you call it as if you're doing radio because you are on radio and then you just, people watching on TV, it's like, okay, well, you get a little bit of... I wouldn't have to say it if I were just doing TV, but you get it anyway, you get the description.
0: Sure, and I I don't think it takes away from anything to have that extra description on TV. I don't think so either. And for some of our fans are, you know, I know we have a couple of fans who have some visual impairments where they're, they 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 can't see as well, but they do watch us on TV or at least did in the past and maybe they're on the radio broadcast now, I'm not sure, but I've heard from them where they appreciate that description anyway. Or if you've gotten up to get a drink while you're watching the TV broadcast, it doesn't hurt. To have the extra description on TV, and it's absolutely necessary for radio.
1: Is that hard for you as an announcer to do in your mind, or I guess now it's just natural?
0: No, that's. It, I, I guess it's like asking an accountant if they if they have trouble working with numbers. It's it, it ah. just comes naturally. It's just the job, right? And so you you get so used to it. I you asked that question. I didn't really, never really thought about it that way. No, it's just
1: well, some TV announcers, like Joe Buck, for example, yeah. you know, he's famous when he did the Fox World Series and playoff games. Like he says nothing a lot of the time, and sometimes it's appreciative in big moments. You can hear the crowd and just feel it, but a lot of times I find myself bored watching it on TV because. I was telling you before we came on, I'm a radio junkie. I listen to baseball on the radio. That's how I consume a lot of my sports because it's very rare these days I'm going to sit down and watch a game, especially with baseball every night or even sporting events on a weekend. It's like I got stuff to do. So I'll just throw on my headsets and listen to radio announcers. So I'm used to that storytelling, that description. So then when I go and watch a TV announcer, I end up thinking to myself, come on, man, give me something. Talk a little bit. And that depends. And that's where
0: it is difficult. I, I think I've gotten so used to, to doing radio that it's not difficult to do radio. It is difficult. I also work for Colorado Mesa doing some of their sports. So when I'm on TV for baseball over there, they also have a radio broadcast. So there's no reason to do it radio style. And so kind of easing that back to, okay, don't need to say that the pitch was swung on it. That's implied because they can see it. So easing that back can sometimes be a little bit difficult. I think, You bring up Joe Buck. That's a style difference too. Some TV broadcasters will give a little more description. For example, Gary Cohen of the Mets. He's a former radio guy, so he does give a little more description where if you really broke it down and said, well, you didn't need to say it that way, but it adds to it to me. It adds to the moment. It adds to capturing that moment. But it's it's a style difference in what works for one guy doesn't always work for the other. We'll say when you have... Guy like Joe Buck, who is a little more minimalist, if you will. You got to have a great analyst because someone has to come in and fill that time, and you don't want to be minimalist for no reason. But if you're minimalist and it gives that guy more time to shine, then
1: you're doing your job. Do you think his style, he just figures, well, the less I say, the easier it is, or I don't want to overtalk, or he's always just. Maybe he came up and had a great color guy. How do you think people get into that minimalist style? I'll
0: say this. I I can tell you almost for a fact, it's not by accident. It's It's not a laziness. It's not anything like that. Joe Buck knows exactly what he's doing. He is a pro's pro, and that's how he feels, and whoever else is in his ear, he feels the game is best captured by that minimalist style, by letting the game breathe a little bit and... He, he does it with football, too. He, he's, he's very minimalist. It's not my style. It's not the style I personally prefer. But if you're looking at
1: that style, he's a master of it. So how did you develop your style? Take us back to... We were joking before we came on air because when I met you, I just heard you on the radio and I had heard some clips of you. And I expect to walk up to this grown man who's maybe in his 50s with this deep radio voice. And you're a young guy right out of college and you were joking. And what did you say... Radio broadcast is the only profession where it's a good thing to be called older.
0: Yeah, when yeah, people think you're older than you are, most of the time that's an insult. But <laughs> yeah. not in this business. <laughs>
1: yeah, man, you do. You have a great voice, obviously, and you're gonna be the better of two voices on this podcast for sure. But tell me how you got into broadcasting. Do you were you like calling games with the sound off when in your living room when you were a kid and always dreaming of calling those big games? So the first moment I can remember that I ever. Really,
0: registered broadcasting is a thing. You know, I, I was—I've been a baseball fan my whole life. That's thanks to my parents. Oh, I've always enjoyed baseball as a baseball player growing up. And as a kid, you think, "Oh, I want to be a baseball player." You don't think I want to be a baseball broadcaster. But the first time I remember even thinking about broadcasting at all was the the opening scene to *The Sandlot*. Great baseball movie. Love it. One of my favorite movies of all time. And. It's a throwaway scene that no one you think oh favorite scenes from the Sandlot no one thinks of this scene but the opening scene is Smalls as an adult walking into the Dodgers Stadium going to the elevator up to the press level and going into his press box and looking out over the field because and then obviously the the movie ends with him calling Benny the Jet sliding into home plate but he he's a play by play announcer and so that moment of him walking up into that booth and just how serene it was to come out and look over Dodger Stadium and to be in that booth was was awesome and I, I remember not thinking oh I want to be a play-by-play broadcaster but I was like that ah, man that was pretty cool That's that, that looks pretty neat you know don't really think much of it come into high school I, I had designs of being a, a film director you know high school kid we're all glad that didn't happen <laughs> um, but I, I took a we had a class called film and video at my high school and went to that class and one of our first assignments was just to get practice with cameras and stuff. We had a, a live stream of our high school football games and you know, we had two cameras, maybe some cheap software on a computer, but they had put that together as practice for us in a way for parents to, or grandparents, siblings, fans, whoever wasn't in attendance to watch football games. And this was, this was before that became really big business. It it was kind of right before that actually, where now you have, NFHS and all these other companies that do these high school football games. and It's kind of a big business. But at least at that time in Colorado, I'm from the Denver area, Arvada, that time it wasn't quite there yet. And so the fact that we were doing this as a high school was kind of neat. And our film and video teacher comes in and he says, hey guys, you know uh, we got our crew set up for this week. I, I do want to check and see does anyone interested in doing the, the, the play-by-play on there and I was like, oh, man, that, that's super cool. I, I'd love to try that out. So, but I'm like, man, I don't think I'll get a shot. I bet everyone wants to do it. He's like, yeah, raise your hands. Who wants to do that? I was the only one raising my hand. Really? Well, it's kind of
1: scary. I mean, yeah. you're putting yourself out there when you're just calling a yeah. game, especially if you have no experience doing it. Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I wish I had the, the tape
0: of it because I'm sure it's just awful. <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, pre- I remember I went home that night because it was the day before the game. And I was like, okay. So I printed off the rosters of the two teams, figured out who the quarterbacks were, because I didn't even know. I, I was a freshman in high school. I knew nothing about our high school football team at that point. I said, okay, this guy's the quarterback. Highlight him. There's a receiver. Highlight him. <laughs> and looked up. I think I printed out a picture of referee hand signals as well. Just I don't think I ever used it, but I printed it out and showed up, put a headset on, and, and started talking. And oh. and then I remember coming home and being like, that was Awesome. I want to do that again. And, and I did do it again a couple of times that year. The next year in high school was the big year for me is one of my buddies I had met that year and good guy. And I, we started a thing called the broadcasting club and I thought it was going to be just me because, but this guy shows up, his name's Billy Beasley. He shows up I'm like, Oh, Billy, what, what what are you doing here, man? I thought he just, you know, coming into the wrong room. He's like, Oh, I'm here for broadcasting clubs. like, What? Okay. So Billy became my color guy on our broadcasts. And Billy, who, by the way, is now a ski lift engineer in Salt Lake City, was a big sports fan, and he added color. Exactly that. You know, he he added that, and we just had so much fun doing these high school football, basketball, and baseball games for our our high school. We drove out in his old Toyota Tacoma no, not Tacoma. That's the car he has. No, Toyota. Um, what's the big SUV they used to have? The Tahoe. Yeah. Big gold Tahoe. We called it the broadcast mobile. <laughs> and whatever freshman or underclassman we could recruit to run our cameras, we would. They'd say, hey, we'll buy you dinner after the game. If you if you do the camera work, you know, come with us. Like, this could be awesome. And lo and behold, they, they, they seemed to trickle in and out. But me and Billy were the constants there. And we would do home and and road games home games on the top of the press box be up on the roof that was our spot and you know slowly but surely I'm sure we, we, we got a little bit better but I'm sure it wasn't a professional operation but we just had so much
1: fun doing that in high school. How did you figure out what to say? Did you have broadcasting role models at the time? Like were you looking up to Joe Buck? How did you know what to say? That's a good question
0: that I don't know if I know the answer to. I, I think part of it was you know I'd watch games on TV or whatever and try and emulate some of those broadcasters and that's how you have to start out in this business i've heard similar stories from pretty much everyone i know in the business is that's how you start out you just start out by copying everybody else and just putting a product out there that at least resembles a a, a broadcast and i'm sure that's what we did billy would make it fun he he you know he i think he tried to emulate some of the co- more colorful color commentators out there he'd come up with nicknames for the players he, we had a quarterback named ethan Vowles and he'd score a touchdown and Billy would go, yeah. Ethan vowels a e i o u and sometimes y in there for the touchdown, something like that. You know, just silly stuff, and yeah, that's fun for high school. But, though, yeah. but we're high school kids, yeah. right? And so that that's how it started. And we just that's the most fun I've ever had doing a bro- doing broadcast in my life. I've done a lot of cool stuff since then, but nothing will ever beat the Ralston Valley Broadcast Club with with my buddy Billy. Just we just had so
1: much fun. Well, I think that's the key to a successful team, like broadcast team, because. Listening to baseball on the radio, for example, can be magical when the two guys are in sync and into it and really telling stories and describing the players. But we've all heard that game on the radio where it's just ball one, dead air, you know, and then nobody's telling stories. Everybody seems to be mailing it in and it's just like there's no energy amongst the team. And that's when, for me, like broadcast can really go downhill. You're like, oh, man, I'm going to turn this off. This is worse than listening to nothing, right? We've all heard that. Is that something that in the industry is really important in seeking out who you work with, or are you just paired randomly a lot of times? For what I've seen, and I, and I don't know how they pair people. Say ESPN,
0: or those, that's a whole process, I'm sure. At this level, I think it, you'll find out one day, buddy. Yeah, ho- hopefully that would be that'd be neat, but at this level, right, um, and the levels I've been with, it's kind of random how you get paired. I was paired with Billy because he's the only other one who wanted to do it. Fortunately, it worked <laughs> out. But then. <laughs> Going to college, you're on the college radio station and our college radio station was pretty big down at Arizona state. You majored in broadcasting? Yeah, I majored in both journal, it's journalism and mass communications down there. And then I was also an education major as well, but our, where you get most of your experience down there is not in the classes, it's in the clubs. And so instantly I was first day, I was like, where do I join the student radio station? How do I do that? We had a great student radio station down there and Fortunately for, for us, ASU gave us great access. We got to call every single game.
1: You got to walk in as a freshman and just take that over? Well, not well, n- n- me, doing it? but
0: our, our radio station did. And so we would have a, a senior usually who's our sports director, and he would schedule the broadcasts. I, obviously, I wasn't doing the big games my first year. I think my first broadcast there was a non-conference women's basketball game that mm-hmm. I did and got randomly paired with the guy who I had barely met before. Had you ever called basketball before? I had we we did it in high school, but okay. I'd never done it on the radio, so that was different. That must be hard on the radio, trying to, to keep up with the pace of the game. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. Yeah, I, there's there's something special about baseball where I, I don't think I could ever give it up. But boy, is calling basketball on the radio so much fun. Why? It's fast. It's it's more fun than TV because you do have to throw those descriptions in there, and it's just it's just it's just the pace of the game is is so quick. You're you're never
1: really thinking. You're just in the flow of the broadcast, which... That makes sense. You're yeah. just reacting and following to it, whereas yeah. baseball, you have this dead space where you're like, what should I say? You're thinking about what you yeah. should say rather than basketball. It's just there's no time for that. And, and, and that's a lot of fun. And it's easier than,
0: say, hockey, which is just as fast. Hockey is hard because everyone's wearing a helmet. Everyone has the same jersey on. you got to go by numbers almost. Where in basketball, oh, that guy has the pink shoes on. That's so-and-so. Or that guy's got the afro. He's whomever. But getting back to that, you just get paired with random people in in college. And so you see a lot of different styles and people that, you know, sometimes I get paired with the guy who's a journalism writing major. He's like, I'm just doing this for fun, man. And so he'd be a great analyst, but maybe his play-by-play wasn't as good as mine. Whereas when it's his turn to do play-by-play and I'm the analyst, it's, oh yeah, great. (laughs) I know how to describe (laughs) this, but I don't really know the ins and outs of it as much as you do. Um, so, so that's how I got paired with people there. As far as here in Grand Junction, it's the first two years here with the Jackalopes. I was a, a solo act, which definitely presents some challenges. That's a lot of time to fill. Did you apply for this job, or was it? How did that come about for you to come up here? So that that's a tough part in this business is it's very competitive. It is hard to get jobs in this in this business, and so you got to move around a lot, right? Yeah, I got very lucky coming out of college as my senior year. Gentleman who did this before me, who was my predecessor in this booth, he got hired by a high A team out in Iowa, the Quad Cities River Bandits, which their mascot is a band a raccoon that's a bandit. So more minor league baseball fun. <laughs> but he got hired out there. I saw him tweet about it. He he had gone to Arizona State. I didn't know him super well, but I knew of him. Maybe met him a couple of times. Followed him on Twitter. He tweeted out, Hey, you know, I'm looking forward to my going up to Quad Cities to get with the bandits or whatever. And I said, Oh, so I guess the Grand Junction job's open. So I emailed the president here, Mick. I said, Hey, you looking for a broadcaster? And he got back to me and said, Yeah, we are. So just right timing. We, yeah, we, we played a lot of phone tag and then finally got an interview. And Do you have to submit hired. a tape or what's the interview? Does he come in? And he's like, All right, call the game. Let me see yeah. it. I, I definitely sent them some tape. Um, they were also worried there, Hey, can you do sales too? Because again, three man operation, you better be able to do something else. And I said, yeah, I got lots of sales experience. That... I did not at the time. I do now. And <laughs> I've, I've made that work pretty well. Fake actually. it till you make it, man. But I, yeah, I got hired, got hired out here. So it's it just, there's a lot of, a lot of luck, I guess, in that sense, in this business. Right timing is just so huge. Why did you come back to baseball if you liked basketball so much? Baseball is easier to get into. Is um, it? Yeah, I, I would say baseball and hockey are probably the two easiest because there's a more robust minor league system. Mm. Whereas basketball, your best avenue is college, and that is hard to get hired into at a high level. Having a full time job doing college basketball is rare, really rare. And so, and, and I love baseball. That that's the other thing is I I, I don't, baseball is my favorite sport. I consume more baseball than anything else. I like all I like pretty much all sports, but baseball is is my favorite. And so.
1: It's America's pastime, man.
0: Yeah. Work, working for a baseball team absolutely works for me. I, I enjoy doing basketball, and I do do that on the side over at Colorado Mesa, but uh, baseball is a lot of fun, and being able to work full-time for the team is awesome. And, yeah, having this as my office every day is no complaints there.
1: Yeah. Isn't it funny how baseball is America's pastime, but so many people think it's boring and hate it? Yeah. I, I that, That's such a weird
0: thing to me. It's... I had this conversation with a couple of people in college. Who, this guy's a basketball fan. He said, "All right, Ethan, I really want to try and like baseball. Help me out with this." And I told him this way. This is how I feel about it. I feel like basketball to me is kind of like your friends. You love having them around. It's awesome. It's great to go hang out with them. It's definitely something you want in your life. But to me, baseball is like family. It's like home. It's it's there. It's is it going to be as crazy and as exciting as your friends probably not but it's it's just the, this this warm thing and I, I i don't know i i don't know how to fix that problem i think what the leagues are doing right now with the pitch clock is part of the issue you know um you guys speeding are just beating up the game guys are just walking around doing doing nothing important then that's that's not interesting that doesn't that doesn't move the game forward so as much as I I like the tradition of no clock. I having experienced the pitch clock this year in the Pioneer League, I think it's a welcome change. It's 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 really awesome. But just getting any way you can get more people involved in baseball and for me, I think part of the issue is we just have less and less kids playing baseball as kids. And so when you grow up having not played baseball, it's this kind of foreign thing, even if you're not a good baseball player, you play T ball. Yeah. That that's that's enough, you know, and so and and getting that experience of going to the game with, with your friends or with your family, whatever it is, I, that's why I think teams like the Jackalopes and like these independent and minor leagues are so important because they offer an affordable way for to create baseball fans because there's probably a kid here who was here last night for his first baseball game, and that's just not affordable for his family to go to the Colorado Rockies game because it is so expensive now. So many of the, the biggest baseball fans I either know personally or read their work or listen to their work. They all have a story of sometime as a kid coming to a game, usually with a friend, family, or, or a loved one of some kind. And that's what gets them hooked. And I, I think that that connection is so important. And it, it it's harder to create now that there are less baseball teams and the major league teams are so expensive. The games are so expensive. So I think there is a, a real positive with what we're doing here in terms of creating baseball fans and creating those memories for people that are, that are important to growing the game and making
1: sure it stays around. Yeah. It's, it's just a funny sport in the sense of, you know, traditionally no clock and all the other sports are so high action in a short amount of time. You know, you think of football, it's just like this blast of energy basketball, it's up and down hockey, up and down. There's always this constant motion. And so baseball just has such a different pace to it. And I think when you're consuming it only on TV People are confused by it. They're like, this is not entertaining. This is kind of slow and boring. But when you go to the game and you feel the atmosphere, I think a lot of that dead time disappears because you see that, oh, that dead time is for me to chat with my buddy or to look around, enjoy the beautiful view, the sun, root for the beer batter. Like there's all these things going on that make it more fun when you're there at the game. I totally resonate with what you're saying. I played baseball as a kid. I'll never forget those moments, kind of those Sandlot moments, those just beautiful summer nights. So that draws me back to it, going to games as a kid. But I have a theory I want to run by you. Okay. I believe, and when and if I have a kid, I know I will force them to play baseball. I don't plan to do a lot, like force a lot of my kids. I want to let them be what they want. But I definitely will force them either to play baseball or softball for at least a year or two because... I think it should be a national mandate that everyone has to play baseball, and here's why. For our society, with other sports, football, basketball, it's all about being the star, and it's all about executing 100% of the time. You're not going to be a good quarterback if you only throw a touchdown pass once in a while. It's all this emphasis on being good all the time and being a star. Baseball is the only sport where failure is literally baked into it and even your best players fail more than they succeed. And so I think that's just such a great lesson for kids to learn. It's saying, you're a part of the team, you're going to fail. In fact, even if you're really good, you're gonna fail seven out of 10 times. And getting into that mentality of, okay, I failed this time, get over it, come back with a fresh mental slate, and succeed the next time. I think that just sets up such an important platform for life, because life is like that. You're not the star all the time in life. That's unsustainable. You know, to be Patrick Mahomes, we build him up as this, like, always wins, always comes through the big play. And you know what? The minute he stops coming through on that, we're going to just, okay, you're done. Who's the next superstar? And it's just this kind of mentality. If you go through life like that, you're not going to deal with failure very well. I feel like baseball teaches you you're going to fail. It's going to happen. But you can fail a lot. And still be very successful, and still be an integral part of the team. I think for me, that's one of the biggest life lessons I've learned from baseball: It's just how to overcome that failure that is inevitable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's you
1: vibing of- with that, or am I just way out on a
0: limb? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know much about national mandates or how to enact those, but <laughs> I, I totally agree with you when it comes to the life lesson. It's and, and that can and that for kids can come from from any sport. I, I think. It's so important to get kids outside. We talk about getting them outside to play to for all the health benefits of that and that's great, that's necessary, but it it really is the life lessons and, and the mental benefits of playing a sport and failing at that sport and how do you how do you come back from that? And obviously baseball has more failure than most sports, even for the good players, but I, I just think that, that that sports for kids are just so important. In that regard, it, it gives them that, those life lessons. It certainly did for me. I, I know that's the case, and it, it's just it's just too bad the way that sometimes it doesn't work out for kids. Whether it's they don't, it's become such a travel ball sort of thing with with sports. They're not able to access those teams because maybe they don't have the money to do that. But we're also losing the two things that make these sports go round, and that is little league umpires. And and I'm, when I say little league umpires, I mean for any sport, referees, whatever, and little league coaches. People don't want to do it. It's it's just tough right now. Uh, umpires just get berated every game. But yeah, I was a umpire when I was in high school, and I'd, I'd never do it again. You were? Yeah. But what was that like? Um, I, I played umpire. Calling balls and strikes. Oh trips. yeah, I, I uh, had a game where I had to eject the coach because he told told the other coach he was going to fight him. But what? I just had parents yelling, and it and it wasn't that they were yelling at me. That didn't bother me. Is whatever they were yelling at the kids, and that era. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Because, but I, I think it's so the the key to you talk about the failure and learning from that is you, you have to have that mentor there that that does teach you that that's okay and to move on to the next thing, and that comes from the coach. I I I, I hear every day that we just don't have as many folks who are willing or able to be Little League coaches and be those mentors for these kids. And even for kids who have great parents, um, having that outside voice, that's not your parent. It's not your guardian, whoever it may be, brother, sister, having that, that coach on the other end, it is so important for these kids to have that voice. And so to your point about Little League being a mandate, that would be, that would be awesome. If we could get coaches to help keep that a positive experience for kids, even if there is failure, having that, that positive experience. And it starts with the coaches and and with those umpires. So important to making that all work.
1: How do you keep your energy up when you're watching these games? I, again, being a radio junkie, a lot of times I'll turn on a ball game in the late innings and it's a blowout, and the announcers, you can just kind of feel it in their voice that they're struggling to keep themselves interested in the game. I think that's a lot of the reason, too. You know, you pass, you're responsible for passing that energy on to fans. If someone's listening to the game, you can change their mind about the sport and make them be like, wow, this is so exciting. Or, you can go the other way, and they're listening and saying, Oh my God, turn this off. Right. So, how do you approach your job every day, even if you're calling the game for a losing? Like, imagine if you're calling for the Colorado Rockies right now. It's just no hopes of making the playoffs, no hopes of winning anything. You have a month and a half of the season left, and you're like, God, I got to call a game every day. How do you get that excitement? Like you personally, how do you keep that up? I mean,
0: it starts with that I love what I do. I'm every day. I'm excited to see how I can improve as a broadcaster. How can I describe this better? How how can I make this open better? So I'm always focused on that first and foremost. So that's my mentality coming in already, which helps. But second to that is every day is a new game, right? And you're still okay. We're why why is this game important? Broadcasting that out to, to the fans is important, and even in the losing team, okay, we've got a we've got a young guy up here who could be the future of the franchise. He's important. This veteran who probably would be cut from every other team, but our team's bad, so he's still here mentoring these young guys. He's important. So finding reasons that the game is important is key. But also for me, even in a blowout, it's it's having fun on the broadcast. A lot of a lot of broadcasts, you know, it's very cut and dry, very play to play to play, which is. Which is fine, but on our broadcast we try and have fun, um, and I think that comes through with both me and Paxton. That that we're having fun. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We still are professional with our play-by-play because we are acting as the eyes of someone listening on the radio, and sometimes you have to. You also have to act like a mirror, right? If the team just blew a big lead, being all gung ho and happy is not how the fan is feeling at home, right? Right then, so understanding that but also still bringing levity to that situation you know the team's down by 10 runs we're still gonna have fun on a broadcast that's when we break out the stories break out a you know, little banter between me and Paxton in between pitches and and so I, I think that's that's good to have to keep because if you're as the broadcaster not engaged with the game the fan probably isn't either and so if you're at a baseball game and it's 10 and run blowout, you're going to talk to your friend a little bit more. You're going to look around a little bit. Hey, let's go check out the the gift shop or whatever. And so that those stories in between the pitches are the equivalent of that on our broadcast to keep fans engaged, make them feel like they are part of the broadcast, that we're talking with them, not just at them and just having fun while still delivering the play by play that is important and getting that keeping that professionalism, but
1: still having fun. Yeah, and still maintaining some sense of optimism, right? Like if you're down 10 nothing, of course, you want to be a mirror of that and be like, okay, I'm bummed. But, for example, I'm a big Cincinnati Reds fan. Marty Brenneman got me into baseball on the radio. He's gone now. But – listening to their it's all like you're setting the culture right so the reds have been terrible for a long time they've had some bursts of goodness and you can see that reflected in their announcers so for example if you're going into the ninth inning and the reds are up by one they'll say instead of saying like and the reds are going to go try and you know close this out for the win they'll say before going to break oh and the reds will try and hold on to this little lead you know they they say it in a way where it's like okay so you think they're going to blow it or you're kind of having that you're not having the optimism they're going to win you're reflecting on the past of how many times they've blown it and you're injecting that fear into us as we go forward is that appropriate sure because they've been horrible but as a fan okay well i want to feel like we're turning a corner like i want to feel like you guys believe we're going to win does that resonate with you at all do you think about that kind of stuff somewhat i think you have to strike a balance and it's a really fine line you have to
0: strike a balance between you know not Injecting unnecessary negativity into the broadcast, but also being fair and accurate. I, I, nothing to me is, especially in baseball, nothing feels more forced than than a homer broadcaster who the team is is bad and just you get the feeling that well we're you know just doesn't continues to to kind of toe that line if you will of well this is this is just fine it's you're again you're. You're talking with the fan. You, you you don't want to treat the fans listening to your broadcast like they're stupid. Yeah, that's the ultimate insult to be called a homer, right? Yeah. yeah. Would you it, say? It depends on how you do it. It, it. it can work out. I think especially in hockey, there's a few homers. Connor McGay, who does the Avs game, is a, a blatant and just abhorrent homer. And boy, does it work for him. He is fantastic, <laughs> and it's great. But it's a homer in a positive sense of, oh, you know, the avs have never committed a penalty according to him pretty much you know that and that and that's fine it works for him and his style but also he'll tell you if they if they're playing bad right so he he's a homer in the sense that protect your own the avs are he's there to protect them from outside forces a.k.a. the other team and the refs but if they do something wrong he'll tell you he says oh, that that was but that's a bad play like what are we doing here that was that's was bad and it's not just because fans aren't stupid and so when you try and fool them into this it's the Kind of goes back to something that's been in the news recently with Kevin Brown with the Orioles. He's been all over my news feeds anyway. he was suspended for a pretty innocuous comment about how the Orioles hadn't beaten the Rays at in Tropicana Park for like fifteen straight series or something, and he got suspended for that, and the he got suspended for that yeah by the team yeah so the why i didn't I don't know the story yeah, so so share it with us. I'm not entirely sure. Why they did it, no one knows. Uh, we're, we, we think it's because whoever decided, and all signs seem to point to it, the team owner, is that he's just being a little sensitive about it and doesn't want anything reflecting the past or negativity. But oh. it's, it's a, that's an objective fact. And again, if you're trying to hide that from the fans, fans aren't stupid. And and to to, to treat them like that, I think takes away from their trust in you as a broadcaster. You want them to, to feel like, they can trust you as a broadcaster to feel like, and to be an easy listen, of course, as well to enjoy listening to you. But you also want them—you do want them to trust you and know that you uh, understand what they're going through. But also, you know what you're talking about when it comes to the team. And when you're just blatantly making things up or, or you know, saying things that just aren't true. Oh, they're they're doing great, and
1: the team's down ten runs. That, yeah, it doesn't that, make sense. I mean, yeah. adding that context would, in my opinion, make it even sweeter when you beat them. 'Cause saying, Hey, we haven't done it for this long, that's yeah. why this team is special right here. And that's entirely what the context of it was. Is right. you know,
0: as the Orioles are doing great this year, and so it's hey, the Orioles are better now than they were then. Let's see if we can get this win and it's just being a little sensitive. He has since been reinstated after all that. But it's again, the the Orioles fans aren't, aren't aren't dumb. You can't hide that from them that they were have been bad in the past and it again makes it sweeter when when they win. And, is that common in,
1: in the industry broadcasting for owners to control what you say like how how does that usually play out do you have is there in your contract like hey i'm allowed to to do what i want or i guess you're hired by the team so they could have something to say about what
0: you say it depends on the team and the broadcast i, I know there are some broadcasts in major league baseball where it is written to their, into their contract that they can't be negative about the team really and there's some that it definitely is not the the Mets <laughs> would be a, yeah. an obvious example of that they they are not afraid to 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 blast the team when that when they're bad, which is again why I think that broadcast works so well, is they do they do blast the team when they're bad and and so so yeah, some teams they they're not allowed to. Either it's written into their contract or it is uh, very strongly not written in there, if you know what I mean. It's Yeah. Unwritten, but you better not do that.
1: I'm curious about your development of your own style in the sense that I've I'll admit, I've tried the turn off the volume on the TV and broadcast because when I'm listening to the thing, I get, I'm like, oh, this would be fun to do, right? So I'm like, all right, let me turn off the TV or the volume and try and call the game. And it's not that easy. I challenge everyone at home to give it a try. You would think, oh, yeah, you just say what's happening. It's very difficult, especially with baseball, because there is time to fill. So what you said earlier resonates with me. But the hardest part is when you are trying to get excited about something and I'm sure a lot of it is natural excitement when you see a home run. But sometimes, because baseball is such a chill sport, you're not getting ramped up like you are in hockey where it's like you see that momentum building towards a goal. And you, like Doc Emmerich, amazing hockey announcer, right? Like with his pace, you can just tell like how they're getting close to scoring. And when they do, it's like final, this eruption of emotion. But for baseball, it's much more chill. So it's just like, you don't really get that build up when you're going to have a home run. So a lot of it is just like, okay it's happening and that was the hardest part for me like trying to do a home run call all excited without sounding like a total dweeb so i'm curious about you like how did you work on your home run calls and your that sort of like flashy call that you give how did you figure that all out that is
0: years and years of having called baseball that's that's all practice right there it's just it's something maybe you can practice but you just get from having called a lot of baseball games i'm sure my first few baseball games i sounded like a complete idiot um (laughs) when i when i did that but it's just you do it enough and and it kind of comes to you as far as building up that momentum it is hard it's baseball is different in that sense and you're you're telling a story and you just have to cut that story off it's like you know Angelina Jolie walked by. You're telling the story. Oh, that's it. And then go right back in the story. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta cut it off and and call the action. But for home runs, you like the big arcing home run because you can build it up. It's you know, hit off the bat. You assume it's gone. Start talking about say the outfielder's going back to the track to the wall, and you just build it that way. But sometimes you know it's it's a bullet that gets out of here in a hurry, and you just kind of have to.
1: Yeah. Do you have a call that you do every time? You know, a lot of people have these flagship calls, like, raise the Jolly Roger when the Pirates hit a sure. home run or something like that. Uh, I do not. And okay. part of it is I, I heard
0: a, a great thing about home run calls is and that there's all the good ones are already taken. Ah. So it, it baseball has been on the radio for, let's see now, 70, 80 years. And so I figure a lot of home run calls are taken. I, I change it up each time. I, I haven't thought of anything good enough to be uh, – a trademark home run
1: call. Like uh, John Sterling with the Yankees when he always plays with their last name, like a judgy in Blast, yeah. and he does those things. But yeah, you don't want to just copy that, right? No. So how do you come up with something authentic? It's, I guess yeah. it just has to happen. Right? No, I, I call
0: every home run differently. There's, and You hear about the announcers with the famous home run call, but a lot of announcers, they, it's different every time. I mean, Vin Scully's a prime example of that.
1: Is he your idol? One of them. Yeah,
0: how how can you not love Vin? I mean, he's he he was definitely my main idol in high school when I first got into broadcasting. He was in his final years with the Dodgers and so the way he was able to tell stories is something that I try and emulate still to this day is getting in those stories because there's a lot of complaining online it seems like, well, focus on the game. That's that's boring. You you, you, you I promise you you think you want that, you don't want that because then you do get what you were just talking about. Ball one, strike one, and the same people love Vince Scully. I remember I tuned into a Vince Scully game. He was talking about the the tape that Charlie Culberson uses on his bat, Lizard Tape, and going into the whole story of Lizard Tape, like stuff like that. I think it adds context to the broadcast and and makes it more entertaining. So I I try and emulate that part of of his game, and I mean just you know the consummate pro, hit his whole thing. Uh, I I have a Vince Scully bobblehead. It, I had a Vince Scully bobblehead in my childhood bedroom. I, I still have it, but no, he, he's definitely
1: one of them. I have a quote from him because I, I heard a radio interview you did. I think it was Jim Davis, and you were talking about Vince Scully right after he died. I think you came on the morning after he died or something like that. And Vince Scully's advice that you said you enjoyed was, never listen to other broadcasters, just be yourself.
0: Well, he he got that advice from Red Barber, who was his mentor, who's probably the first, I'd say, great baseball broadcaster I, I i believe i finished that off by saying too bad vin i didn't listen to that advice because I, I i listened to you and i i enjoy listening to other broadcasters not even just to emulate them but just i enjoy it so uh, that was one thing that he he always believed in i i, I think quite the opposite but yeah i mean yeah. as a
1: writer you're going to read other people's yeah. work and you don't want to copy off them but You get little ideas from people, you see how they do it. That's that's studying, right? I'm sure that he listened to other people. But his point is probably like don't go too far down the hole and thinking you need to be like them. Exactly. Because you need to stay true. Like what you have inside of you is your only
0: unique offering. Yeah, exactly. And you can emulate something oh, I like the way he, he described that. Let's add that into to my toolbox. But at the end of the day, you do have to you have to be you and that's part of the development of a broadcaster kind of like we were talking about earlier. First, you're just emulating guys, trying to put something together that kind of sounds like a broadcast, and then (laughs) slowly as you keep doing them, it it becomes
1: you. Do you spend a lot of time with the players to try and get these stories and get to know them so you can talk more about them on the air?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I talk with our players. Fortunately, I have a, a really good relationship with the guys here because I work for the team. I'm hanging around the office. They know who I am, so... I, I hang out at batting practice. That's the best place to get stories. Just, some guys will randomly say stuff. I'm like, "Hey, man, can I use that on air?" Like, I'll, I'll tone it down. I won't use some of the words you used. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But
1: tell us a little bit about these players because I don't think people understand. Like families here in Grand Junction host them at their house. Right? It's not like these players are staying at a team hotel every night. Like they're very much ingrained in the community here. Is that still the case? Oh yeah, absolutely. So
0: host families here for our team or really what makes the, the whole thing go round at some level is our players do stay with host families they have even when they this was an affiliated organization and so that's pretty cool they get to be involved in the community and our host families are so important but these guys for the vast majority of them this is their first experience in professional baseball and for a lot of them it's their first job so you're seeing a lot of young guys come in and kind of grow up a little bit too and and so that's a lot of fun and this This group particularly this year has a lot of great personalities you, you just have a you you can get a lot of guys who are not good people in baseball that that happens you know really there's, some, there's people that are good at baseball that are not nice people yeah huh. this group of guys is just a fantastic group i mean twenty five guys twenty five guys I really really like and are they all different am I best friends with any of them no but but well they're yeah, what's their yeah. average age they're about my age, I'd say. So young
1: twenties. Yeah, they're okay.
0: about young twenties. And but it's just a good group of guys, great group of human beings, and that really helps everything. And and there's some characters though, man. I mean you get in baseball, you know there's
1: Oh yeah. There there's some serious characters. Superstitions, and, routines, all kinds of stuff. Just how does the hosting program work? You is there a call each year for some for to sign up? Like if I yeah. wanted to host a player, how would I do that? Yeah, there there's a, a link
0: on our website and you shoot an email to our GM, give us a call and we'll get you set up. We're always looking for host families. And what's, what am I committing to? Do I have to like make them dinner every night? What is, how does that work? The th- main thing we ask is that there's, they have, the, they have to have their own room. You can't have them living on your couch, Okay, but they have their own room, a bed, and that's pretty much it. Most of our host families are fantastic. They'll make them a homemade meal every once in a while. And that's always appreciated from these guys. They, we do provide dinner after the games for them, but you know, a homemade meal is going to be better than whatever we've got going on here. So that they always do appreciate that, but it, yeah, it's, they just kind of become a part of your family for three, four months. And I, I know a lot of our host families have been host families since the beginning, and they still keep in contact with the players they've had before, some of whom are in the major leagues.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool to host a player that turns out to be yeah. a Mike Trout or. Yeah. Or not just a major league sure. player in general, right? And, and it's
0: neat. Some of them aren't major league players, right? Not everyone who plays in the minor leagues, or especially in the independent leagues, becomes a major league player. And so they keep in contact with them. And oh yeah, uh, Jake's doing great. He he's he's an accountant now, you know, sort of like that. It's it's kind of neat to see that they're still in contact with them, though, and they they really do care about these guys. Once I mean, they live under their roof for four months, and as I said, especially with this group, it's just twenty five great guys, and so they all become very close and it's really cool. Do you get season tickets if you're a host family? That is the benefit. You do get season tickets. A cool. couple of cool events that we do each year. But yeah, you do get you do
1: you do get those season tickets. Yeah, and what do they do right now, for example, like at, what is it? 11:20 on a Thursday morning? Are they practicing somewhere? They just chill and they report later? If I had to guess, today's an off day.
0: I'd guess Probably about 15 of the guys are probably on a golf outing right now, if I had to guess. Another good chunk are probably fishing somewhere. And the other ones are probably sitting in their room at their host family's playing video games. That'd ah, that that that'd be my best guess. Um, so they're chilling. Don't, and then they just travel on by bus to wherever they're going. Yeah, fortunately, they're headed out to northern Colorado tomorrow. So that's only a four-hour drive. So what is supposed to be a travel day today is just a straight-off day they'll get to. Uh, take the bus in the morning for the game that night. Cause it's only a four hour drive. So it's nice. The guys get a day off, which is few and far between in this league. Yeah. How much do these guys get paid? Are they all different or is it a base salary? The every single player on our team is paid the same. I, I do not know the exact number. I, I can tell you it's not a lot if we're, if we're being quite honest. Um, and that's kind of the case across the independent and minor leagues. When, when you're a guy playing at this level, you, you for the love of the game, I right? oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, some of
1: the stories of just even when you're in AAA and AA getting closer to the minor leagues, just the grind that these guys yeah, go through. Absolutely, It's not a glorious path. And baseball is kind of unique. I mean, I guess hockey has a lot of minor league, like you were saying, but just the grind you have to go through. Very few players, when they're drafted, go right to the MLB. I mean what, 1%, maybe less. Uh, most of the, there, you're now embarking on a three, four, year you could be a star on your college team, and now you're right back into the, you know, going through this three, four-year, just minor league route before you even taste the majors, if you taste the majors. Sure, it's one of the unique things about the sport, and
0: it's it's bad in the sense for, like, a star player that they're not immediately in the major leagues, but it, it's great for guys that are the kind of a late bloomer, and by a late bloomer, I mean... Major league talent-wise, they're the best player their high school's probably ever seen. They're one of the best players on their college team, but maybe they're not quite that guy for a major league team yet. But with the minor league system, they get a chance to become that player. And so it's one of the unique things. You get guys who, they were a basketball player. They probably wouldn't be playing basketball anymore because the NBA is so small. They, they have the G League and stuff now, but they'd probably be playing overseas. But because... The minor leagues exist they're still here playing for an affiliated organization have a chance to
1: develop and there's countless stories of guys who do that how's your anxiety working around a hot mic all the time I feel like we've seen a lot of examples the past couple years where announcers have uh, for the Reds Tom Brenneman uh, I think it was the Oakland Athletics guy you have like a lot of these people just I don't want to say slipping up because they're just saying horrible things but uh, Casey Stern he was a used to be on MLB radio. He got booted off. You know, you're working around a hot mic all the time. You're joking around with your buddies. It's I'm a print journalist, so whenever I write something, I'm editing it multiple times. In your business, there's no editing. You're live. So how do you approach that? And have you ever come close to saying anything stupid, or have you had any experience with that? So I mean, first and
0: foremost, uh, I I don't say anything. In the booth or anywhere else that would be anything like what Tom Brennan said. You're not a racist like uh, homophobic. No, Good. no. So <laughs> uh, don't – just
1: don't say that stuff in general. Of but, course. Yeah, but, of course,
0: yeah. there is, you know
1: – But, you know, you go to commercial break, yeah. you're talking – I don't know. How does that work? On commercial yeah. break, are you guys talking about, like, oh, yeah, I went on a date last night? Or do you try and keep it to the game? I mean, it's a professional setting, sure. but – You know how professional settings. When you're a but, you spend so much time with your coworker, it quickly turns personal. Oh, sure,
0: and have a great relationship. I mean, the 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 lesson you're taught is the mic is always hot, so don't say anything that if that mic was hot, you'd regret. Now, sure, we're not gonna be in the booth. Well, you know, doing our full broadcast, you know, that buttoned up when the mics are off. But you know, don't say anything stupid, and. I mean, your biggest concern, I guess, is in like a radio or a TV booth is saying, you know, a cuss word that if I, say, I said to you offhand, you could care less, but the FCC doesn't like that. And so we, we try and keep that to a minimum. I, I have a, nice, a a great switch where uh, I don't know if it's natural talent or what, where I can turn that off. And so I've never slipped up saying, you know, a four-letter word on air, which is it, which is good. The one that, that concerns you is sometimes – you know, go to break, cut the mics, and you know, when players or coach to something you didn't, you thought was dumb. You say, what, what was he thinking? What, 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 what was that? And you don't want that to sneak on there, and then, because these players and coaches, they do hear it. Uh, they do. Oh, some of them more than others, but once in a while, I've done an interview, say with Jim Davis, and I've said something about a player. Never anything negative, but you know, oh, he's a, he's You know how left-handed pitchers are, right, Jim? You know he's kind of a goofball, and. Or, you know, he's kind of weird, and one of our pitchers came up to me. He's like, yeah, I am the weirdest left-handed pitcher, Ethan. I heard that. And ah. I was like, it's was like, that was at 9 o'clock this morning. I know you weren't even awake. What, how did you hear that? But they, they hear it, and so you you do want to be careful, and you never, again, you never want to say anything demeaning or anything wrong off the air. Now, say, hey, I we go off air. Hey, I wouldn't have made that decision. I would have kept that pitcher in. If they hear it. Not the end of the world. Yeah yeah, I disagreed. You're the coach though. So whatever, you know, I can play armchair quarterback, whatever, but never, never saying anything bad in the, in the booth like that is just, would you disagree on air
1: about decisions? Is that part of your style to be realistic and saying like questioning moves and things like that? No, not, not in
0: a blatant sense like that. Occasionally, you know, you know, you ask the question say, well, you know, <laughs> turn to Paxton if he's on analyst. What would you have done here, Paxton? Yeah. Well, you know, I might have, and always giving your reasons. You know, just a, another perspective. Say, hey, obviously they know things we don't. They're closer to the game. They know more about the game than we do. That's what you have to understand. Is we can all criticize these coaches, and they do make wrong decisions. Major league coaches make wrong decisions. Um, where it's, you're. What were they thinking? And and so I I think it's okay to to bring up that perspective of. Well, here's why I might have brought in the lefty here. See, there's three lefties due up in the order after him, something like that. Where if you're given a reason saying why you would have done it, but saying, "Well, that was a that was a, that was a dumb move from our manager right there." That that that's not going to fly. It's not what you say; it's how you say it. In some, some senses, senses in, yeah. and it's not necessarily disagreeing, but offering another perspective on how it could have been different. Or and and then when it comes to the players, I think it depends on the level. High school guy misses a tackle in football oh he missed the tackle you're going to describe but you're not going to go oh man Richardson that that sophomore how could he miss that tackle you're not going to do that he's a high school kid but as you get into the professional levels it's uh, it's a tackle you got to make at the professional level exactly. saying something like that you know guy blows a ground ball at shortstop hey that's a play he needs to make yeah and he knows that, and he's not going to disagree with yeah. you. He's going to say, "Hey, he might." If it's one of the guys who likes to listen, he might say, Ethan, take it easy on me next time, dude." But yeah, no, but if if it's a if it's a play like that, again, it's being honest with the fans. The fans aren't stupid. If a guy blows a a ground ball, that's the problem. And, or if a guy's struggling at the plate, I'll, I'll say that. I mean, it's as long as it's true, and it's not and it's not blatantly mean or terrible. It's a free game.
1: I'm curious what you, th- you ever heard of the sa- uh, Savannah band savannah sure. bananas yeah right they're like the whole harlem globe trotters of minor league baseball and they've come up with an interesting platform people go there there is a baseball game going on but i'm pretty sure it's fixed or at least a lot of it's a goof off entertainment but they sell out every game they're super popular they have two million followers on instagram and i think that's whatever, a half million more than any actual Major League Baseball team. So what do you think What they're trying to do? The new rules with baseball have helped speed up the game, which you mentioned earlier, so that as a fan experience and as a play-by-play caller probably helps. But you guys have a lot of promotions here that are unrelated to the game. The beer batter makes it fun, margarita night, things like that. Do you guys learn anything from what they're doing? How does Major League or how does, I guess, professional baseball see – Someone like the Savannah ba- Bananas. I can't even say the name. It's so hard. Savannah Bananas. There's a variety of perspectives
0: on it. There's some people in, in professional baseball that hate the Bananas. And I, I I think that comes from a place of insecurity, if, mm. I, if I had to guess. But I think what they're doing is awesome. I think it's a lot of fun, but I don't think every team should do it because what they're doing is unique. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters. You don't want, don't want the entire NBA doing what the Harlem Globetrotters does. It, it's their thing. It's unique. It's awesome. Would I love if we could have the Savannah Bananas? They're, they're doing a tour. If we could get them here and have one of their games, absolutely. That would be fantastic. I, have I, you tried to bring them in? I don't know. That 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 has been a discussion. Um, cool. They, they just started that tour of other minor league stadiums this year, so maybe that's a thing to look at in the future. I'm sure you got to pay them, right? Is that yeah, or statement? they get a cut or something. I, I don't know exactly how it works, but I think what they're doing is awesome, and I, and I enjoy it. But I also like regular baseball. And so I think the minor leagues and this team included kind of works that line between the two. Have the fun promotions, but still have a meaningful, normal baseball game out on the field. And so I I would say we can learn some things from the Bananas, you know, some of their fun pro- promotions. But I don't think you're ever going to see the Jackalopes do a thing where if a fan catches a foul ball, it's an out. That's, right. That's not going to happen.
1: Or the pitcher wearing a cowboy hat and doing a dance. and Yeah. And their rules are different too. You just yeah. get a point an inning based on whether you win the inning. Yeah, and so so it, wild. Yeah. It's
0: it's different. It's their thing. And so I, I I don't I think we can emulate some certain things they do to make the game more fun, but to just go and have that be baseball everywhere, I don't think is the right idea.
1: Is it true that the tiebreaker in this league, the Pioneer League, is a home run derby at the end of nine innings? Yes, it is, and it is awesome. Yeah, how does that work? I had never seen it when so, I came to the game. It didn't go to extras. Yeah. So it's a rule our league
0: instituted. It's one of the nice things about being an independent league is we can do stuff like this. And so rather than have extra innings and have games drag on for an hour or two hours more is yeah. Once the game's tied at the end of the ninth inning, you each team picks a batter. he has got five outs out being a swing. That's not a home run or two minutes, whichever comes first. And whoever hits more home runs wins the game. It's kind of cool. It's so much fun. It's, it's electric. Fans love it. I bet the fans love it. The players love it. And, never seen the dugout get more hype than during the during the knockout round we had a a guy last year by the name of Caleb Farmer who is a star player over at CMU he's now in the Nationals organization he he won knockout round king last year in the Pioneer League he won i think five knockout rounds for us and so it's just it's just so much fun to to watch that it's it's like a walk-off home run is
1: guaranteed as long as the home team wins of course but and you pick the player It's not like whoever was up next or something. You get to select who it is. Yep, That's so cool. When you're calling the games, do you watch it on the monitor or do you watch the actual field?
0: Well, It It depends on if... (laughs) So this operation here is is kind of new in that we've put it together. It's worth... Yeah, I noticed you don't sit behind home plate. You're off center. So our press box is a little unique here at Suplesio. It is down the first baseline. It does make it hard... It makes us argue with the umpires less because you can't really tell if a ball is inside or outside, so just assume they're right and you're good to go. Unless the player is really arguing. That's another thing, kind of talking about criticizing players. As I, I try and avoid criticizing umpires at every opportunity. Now, the best way to criticize an umpire, a little secret in broadcasting, is to just describe what the player's doing. Well, Johnson was really unhappy with that call. Don't think he thought that was a strike or... The old, the old uh, oh, pretty good-looking pitch right there is, you know. But <laughs> these umpires, uh, our league umpires do a great job, and so never want to criticize them, and it makes it harder to do so when you don't have a great vantage point on whether a pitch is a strike or not. It does give us a nice view of our awesome view beyond left field, so that that's a plus, but it is definitely different. Oh, yeah, you can see the Mesa clear. Yeah. It's Mount Garfield. It's so beautiful up here. Yeah, this is, that's a good, the good part. It is weird, I will say. You get used to it. Eventually, but then Colorado Mesa has their stadium and the press box is behind home plate. So during that season, early in our season, when their season's wrapping up, going back and forth is a little bit jarring. It, it makes it a little different. Sometimes you, the angle of the ball and stuff like that is hard to judge from up here. But
1: yeah, so are, are you? So you're watching it live. You're looking at the field, not at a television. One. I'm curious about that. For a lot of broadcasters, sometimes sure. they're so high up. It seems like in football and basketball a lot, they're watching the game on TV and and calling yeah. it that way. It It depends on the play, what's happening.
0: Our monitor... So this broadcast setup we have here was essentially put together by me. And as we have detailed, my background does not involve TV engineering. So <laughs> our monitor we we've, we've done a great job. We've got a lot of help from some folks in getting this broadcast up and running. We've got a we've got a four camera setup, switcher. We've got a great crew that comes over from the CMU. They do a terrific job with their broadcast production. We get some students of theirs who run it over there to come over and run our broadcast as well and do you know the camera operation, the directing, all that stuff. But that being said, the monitor in my booth does not always work. And so, <laughs> but when it does, you know, it's a it's a balance because especially when you're doing TV, you want to always have kind of half an eye on the monitor because if you're director, and at this level, I don't have someone in my ear telling me, hey, we're going to go to this shot. But when the director goes to a shot of, say, a certain player, you want to be able to talk about what's on the screen or if there's a graphic put up, you want to talk about it. Or especially if there's a replay. You always want to mention if there's a replay up there. And so I, th- I know a lot of broadcasters like are pretty locked into the monitor. They're at the field, but they are mostly going off monitor, especially for football and basketball. That can be useful. But I try and mostly keep an eye on the field, and then occasionally
1: we'll go to the monitor. Did you ever totally blow a home run call? Like it's a pop-up, but you think it's hit harder. You know how fans will sure. they hear the crack of the bat, and they get up and scream, and then it's a fly out to center field or something like that? Boy, we had one here the other night, and fortunately,
0: I was validated by science. But uh, <laughs> our, our first baseman, Joe, hit a ball that I was sure was gone. He hit it out to right. It, off the bat, it It had the sound. It had the angle. So I'm calling his home run. You know, oh, that ball is way back there, and it'll die on the track. Got to make the catch. We have a track man here now, which is a radar system. It's new this year for our league that tracks – you know, spin rate of the ball, distance of a home run, stuff like that, and it does a projected distance on each pitch. If conditions were perfect, right, no wind, perfect temperature, what have you, that ball should have gone four or three hundred and eighty feet. It only went three hundred and twenty. The wind killed it. Invalidated. Yeah. Had the but, right read. Yeah. But but it, it does happen. You know, every once in a while, it's how you recover. I I know the best recovery in baseball history as far as i can tell is and and that's part of part of what i i try and do is i do make mistakes on air absolutely and again you're not you're not fooling anyone if it's a small mistake just move on don't acknowledge it but if it's something goofy you know i I'll, I'll have fun with
1: what was I'll the make biggest of biggest recovery in baseball history
0: so john miller who is the giants, used to be the right? voice of sunday night baseball is now the giants radio broadcaster so love him he's fantastic yeah. i have a bobblehead of him on my desk in my office oh that's awesome he's One of my favorites. So Hunter Pence for the Giants hits this home run in the eighth inning. Dramatic shot. And John goes into his call. And there's a drive into left field. Adios, Pelota. It's a home run for Buster Posey's good friend, Ah. Hunter Pence. (laughs) And in a moment, he saved it rather than, you know, saying Buster Posey. Oh, beg your pardon, Hunter Pence. He saved it right there and. I, I, I think Buster or Hunter Pence got himself a shirt that said Buster Posey's good friend. Oh, I and love that. So, I love that. But just, you know, John is one of those guys who isn't afraid to make fun of himself too. And so, you know, if I do something silly, I'll, I'll make fun of myself on air. I, I don't have any problem doing that, but you know, if I, it keeps you human, man. But yeah. you know, if it's one and oh and I say, Oh, and one at some point, I just correct myself and move on.
1: It's yeah. A yeah. Big deal. Well, I would argue your home run call actually made it more exciting because when I'm listening and if it's a warning track fly, that's a chance to build excitement, you know, hammers it deep to left, going back, going back. And he makes the catch on the track, yeah. right. Rather than fly ball to left, he backs up, catches it on the warning yeah. track. Right. And you're like, yeah. well, you could have made it seem, eh, it depends on where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. you, you got to be
0: a little careful. You never want to have the, uh, Oh, this ball is driven deep to right field. and he comes in to make the catch. You never want to get into that situation. Right. Which I've heard happen, but uh, yeah. Oh,
1: so I guess like the first part of it, it's like, if you could just say, oh, lifted to left, you won't say, like, driven way deep, and then, he, then you're totally wrong, right? So how you clarify it right in the beginning. Yeah, it depends That's on the ball. If, if I know it's gone, I'll call it like
0: that, but sometimes you don't know.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. you got to send me some of your highlight reels so we can, uh, we'll do we that. can play them on the pod. We'll, well do that. How do you do – is, like, is that something that you, when you're putting it together, other people think they're your best calls? you think they're your best calls? How do you put together a greatest hits like that? I'm – Not
0: usually doing that. Um, Typically, if I'm putting together a reel, most employers, if say I was looking for a job or just when you're sending out reels to other people to say, hey, can you help me out? We have buddies in the industry. I'll say, hey, will you listen to this? Give me a breakdown on it. Help help me get better. You're sending them eight, nine, ten minutes of straight play by play. Cause oh. Everyone can. Most people can make a highlight reel sound good, right? Yeah, that it's makes sense. it's the non-highlight plays that really differentiate between you know good versus great, bad versus good, and so that's usually what I'm doing. Is just sending out a eight-minute clip, and if I was applying for a job, say it'd be my best eight minutes. But if I'm you know applying, I've just sent it to a buddy. I'll just pick a random eight minutes and say, "Hey, help me make help make me better. You know, what did it, what did you like? What did you not like? Break it down for me." That makes
1: sense. How long are you under contract here? How long will you be the voice of the Jackalopes as far as you can see? Uh, that's a great question that I also don't have the answer to.
0: Okay. So it's season to season. It's Yeah, in some ways. I, I work for the team full time. Okay. But um, there's no, you know, written out. You will be the voice of the Jackalopes until 2025. There's, there's nothing no like that. No contract like that. But no. I'm guessing you like doing the
1: broadcasting more than you like doing the sales and marketing. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, and, and I, I've,
0: I've gotten to like doing the sales and stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. I enjoyed sales more than I thought I would, to be quite honest. But, I mean, broadcasting is my passion. It's the reason I'm here. Yeah.
1: Well, tell us where we can hear you. How do people listen and tune in? You have a streaming television online, right? And then you have the radio. So tell us how we can listen to you and follow along. Yeah, radio
0: is also streaming. It's gjjackalopes.com. There's a big button on top that says watch slash, li- slash, slash listen. Those are two words that are hard to combine. Oh, so it's right through your website. Yeah, and uh, the, the the TV broadcast is a subscription-based service through our partners with Flow Baseball, but the radio broadcast is free. Cool. And you guys are working to bring it back to regular TV next year, you mentioned? Sure, would like to do that. Would like to be on an actual radio station in town again, too, but that's all in the works. TBD,
1: for now, it's all on the Internet. Okay, I guess I made it up. I thought you guys were on one oh one one, but maybe was that in the past or we used to
0: be on the vault here in town i know that that was before my time and we used to be on kgjt on tv which we're hoping to hope hoping to get that back perhaps here
1: this next year but that's in the works okay so the team is on the road now you don't travel with them you were telling me before we came on that that if we were to click watch listen that would just be the opposing team's yeah. So it's important for people listening, if you want to hear you, yeah. make sure it's a home game, right? Sure, yeah. That, uh, and I'm sure you watch every game when you're not working, right? Like tomorrow night. <laughs> Do you watch the games or I, try and I, I follow I try it? and watch as much as I can. Uh, well, you got to know what happened, right, because sure. you're going to talk about it on the yeah, broadcast. No, I'll and, go
0: back and l- look. And I'm, I'm at least acquainted with all the other broadcasters in the league. So if I, you know. I'm at dinner or something and I miss a couple of innings, I could text them, hey, what happened, anything big that I need to know about? Oh, you know, this, this, and this. Like, you won't see this on the stream, but this happened, you know. And so I, I'd say most of it I see, but, you know, once in a while when the team's on the road, that's some the, Some of the time we get off during the season because, you know, the only time we really get off is weekends when the team's on the road. So sometimes, you know, that's
1: time to go to dinner with the family or do other things. Yeah. So Yeah, does this job Affect your personal life because all your evenings are taken up all the time, it's, calling games. It's not a job; it's a
0: lifestyle. Ah, no, it's uh, it definitely, it definitely is different during the summer. Um, I'd say if we're at home, we're working ninety, hundred hour weeks. Whoa, yeah,
1: we're here from nine till eleven. You get here in the nine in the morning on a game day. Yep, and then you work all the way through. Uh, what time do you start calling the game you do a half hour pregame show or something
0: yeah uh, our pregame show is a little shorter um we're on the air at 6:30 so yeah i'm here from 9 till 6 th- i come up to the booth about 4 or 4:30 and start getting prepped for the game help make sure our part of my job is making sure our guys in the press box and our operations booth are all set and doing all that stuff and coordinating media interviews if say tv reporter is here i make sure he's all set up but yeah, it's it's long hours during the summer. It's a lot more relaxed during the off season. Of course, you know there's not as much to do, especially end of season through January. It's pretty pretty quiet. Pretty quiet. Do you warm up your voice? Like, unique New York. Unique New York. I I used to do that when I was in high school because I thought you needed to, and maybe you do. I I I don't do that. Just go for it. I you know I'll say our, our wonderful public address announcer Tim. uh, He's a guy you can get into a conversation with and be, oh, I just lost half an hour. So I'd say I, I warm up my voice by
1: going in there and talking to Tim before the game. So I always wanted that job too. I always loved announcing the batters. Yeah. I always thought that was really fun. Some stadiums, I think the Giants actually, they let kids do it or other people rather yeah. than just uh, – but growing up in Philly – Today, like even when I listen to the Phillies on the radio, if I hear the public address announcer, it takes me right back to being six years old because it's the same guy. Yep. It's so wild. That's awesome. No,
0: I last year I, I actually did both at once. Our public address announcer had a something he had to do that he wasn't able to make the game last minute and so I did the play by play and the PA announcing at the same time. Really?
1: How did that work out?
0: Did you have to mute one
1: mic and talk into the other? Yeah, I had one one
0: button on that mic and so, you know, it would be it would be a fly ball. Fly ball to left. You know, so-and-so takes care of it, and Wong's retired. Coming up next for the Jackalopes, Jake Cruz. Mute that mic. Pop on the PA mic. Now batting for the Jackalopes. Left fielder, number eight, Jake Cruz. Mute that. Go back on. crucy is two for three today. No kidding, man. It was <laughs> – I was so tired after that game. And I will say, I never let the broadcast get over the PA mic on accident. I, one time the PA got over the broadcast once. But you're going back and forth. I was so tired just from mentally putting the two together, but it was actually a lot of fun. And so. Sounds like you guys need to hire an intern or something. Oh, we, we have some terrific interns, but I am backup PA, PA announcer when most of the time, if if our PA announcer is not going to be here, we have someone we can call in, but it was, you know, a last minute an emergency. And it was, I, was, I had seen someone do it before. And I was like, I think
1: I can do that. I got this. <laughs> and so. It was a, It was actually a lot of fun. But if you ever have a last minute emergency again, call me. I'll be here, buddy. Noted. You can live my childhood dreams out, Noted. and it'll be an epic show. I guarantee it. I'll give it my all. There we go. Okay. You know? yeah. And then when you call the opposing batters, you have to have a totally different. Oh, tempo, course, of right? course, right. Got to almost have like a negative vibe when you call out their name. Yeah, it's funny.
0: Some some more than others. That's one where you can really be a homer. Is as a PA announcer. Yes. The Nuggets guy. I'm spacing on his name right now. If you ever get a chance to go to. Uh, ball arena I guess it is now they do just an awesome job of that and he's he's the consummate homer you know playing point guard for the Warriors Steph Kirby yeah (laughs)
1: Yeah. It's, it's a weird industry right like as a writer I'm so used to people reading stories but not looking at my byline like they have no idea I read it I would say most people that read the stories in a magazine, they're just whoever wrote it, it's kind of erroneous. You'll have a few people that will, and every yeah. once in a while you get an email, and they're like, "Hey, I liked your story." It's like, "All right, cool." But you're such an integral part of the fan experience when someone's watching it on TV. I'm guessing most people aren't super nerds like us and can rattle off every broadcaster yeah. and PA announcer. How does that make you feel? Do you get a lot of feedback from fans who are listening who know who you are, or do you think most people just take it for granted because it is an art it's a craft absolutely and you're you're putting it's like the product on tv is you the product on the radio radio is definitely you Mm -hmm. it's like story time with ethan yeah no it's 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 a
0: performance art it really is and when people first start thinking about play-by-play they think oh just be a massive sports fan and go watch the games it's like no i'd say it's more akin to being a a a singer or an actor or a writer in terms of that it's it's an art that you're you're doing but, and there's really nothing else like it on the planet. You, there's no other thing where you, I, I try and describe it as writing in real time, where you you don't edit, you just describe what's happening in real time, and there's no other thing on the planet that's like that. It's not in not even outside of sports. There's nothing else like it. But it's funny the a lot of our season ticket holders are biggest fans who are here every game. Didn't know who I was for like a year and a half and slowly, but surely they oh, this guy's around the office a lot. They finally meet because I'm up here when they're down there and they never see me. So it's funny that, that they don't, our biggest fans don't know who I am because they're, they're at the game, but I'll get some feedback every once in a while from, from, from some, some, some fans, but I'm sure you're right. Most of them, it's, we don't really care who's doing it as long as they're doing an all right job. Now, if I was really struggling, maybe then they would look up and say, who is this knucklehead? Let's get him out of here. But I think the fact that they don't know who I
1: am, hopefully means I'm doing a good job. Yeah, I think so, man. Well, the art is not lost on me. I really appreciate what you do. It's super cool. I think it's amazing. And thanks for spending a little time with us and talking some jackalopes. We'll be coming to some games going forward. Looking forward uh, to hearing your voice.
0: Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks, buddy.
1: Now I'm riding the terrain, flying high up once again. Got my crew sitting healthy and my boo living wealthy. Level 99, never settle in my mind. So I pedal and I climb up the pedestal and find almighty weapons. So I calmly lightly step into the castle. Satchel, tackled, rascal. Down the corridor where I'm grounded through the floor Round house into my core, down out and through the door Sword, down in my side, I gotta round up and ride Face boss, break jaws till I take off Face off, stop and swing my serious strike This is it, take the title, disappear in the night To the whole wide world Got the keys to the kingdom overseas With the wisdom guarantee that my rhythm hit the whole wide world Slay the boss in the castle when we cross, final battle Then I will walk out and travel to the whole wide world Keys to the kingdom There's overseas so with the wisdom I guarantee so that my rhythm so hit the whole wide world. Slay the boss in the castle We're when we cross final the battle. Then i walk the out, and travel to the whole wide world. world.